I think about what I'm encouraged about right now and what's going on in the congregation. On Wednesday nights, so we've been getting together and studying together. Come this Wednesday night, we will have read the Gospel of Luke together. We'll be studying it together. I know that I'll be able to hear more of my brethren to be able to quote Scripture together. And that excites me. It's very encouraging to me. And I think we should be celebrating those, those wonderful things that we get to do together in, in, that, in that study. And so this morning, as we've been doing, I've been taking a section of Scripture that happens to do with our reading. So our reading this week is coming from Luke 21 to 24. And as I was looking over the passages, I want to make sure that we are allowing, as far as evangelism and our encouragement of others, that our focus, again, that we understand the crucifixion of Christ and how the cross of Christ gives great meaning. And I know in many ways it's a very basic lesson, but I want you to consider it in this way, something that you have heard before that you need to be able to take and to apply and to use and to teach to others. And so I hope that we will think of it in that sense and that how can I communicate more of the meaning of the cross and its significance. The more, more uh, I can help others to see God through what Jesus has done for us. And I hope this will be very encouraging to, to you. If you have your Bible, our reading, when we get to it in a moment, will be from Luke chapter 23. And if yours has little subtitles like mine does, it should say the crucifixion of Christ right there. Uh, we will look into more details about what our Savior and what He has done for us. What is the meaning of tragedy? Every day you turn on the TV, you can hear of some tragedy, some hard event. And there are certain things in our life that have affected us as far as as, as tragedy goes. When we look at these things, what meaning do they have? And sometimes things happen, a lot of times these tragedies happen, it seems like there's no meaning to it, there's no purpose. Why are these people behaving this way and doing the harm that they, they are doing? And the reason I bring this up is, uh, as we often search for meaning in, in tragedies, a lot of people look at the cross and they think about Jesus, and I don't think that they're seeing the meaning at all. I think that they are missing God and they're missing Christ because they don't see the meaning of the crosses that are throughout town, that are on the church buildings, that many people are wearing on them. They don't really understand or think about what was accomplished by Christ. I think, and you hear this a lot, I hear this from unbelievers. So why did Jesus have to die on the cross? What meaning is it? Why did God have to sacrifice himself to appease his own wrath? And I've heard people say that in more of a mocking way. In fact, our bulletin article this morning ties in with this lesson and more to that direction of, of the unbeliever, more of an, a, an apologetics defense of the faith, if you want to take a look at that as well. When we start trying to make sense of life and make sense of the things that happen to us, a lot of people, they look at the cross of Christ and they see foolishness. In fact, the Bible says this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 18, Paul says this is what many in the world view this, the word of the cross. It says, for the word of the cross is folly. In other words, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. They're dying. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the way I'm going to be saved. This is a work of God. This is God demonstrating His love to me. But others don't see it that way. Why? And what can I do to help them to do that? And I think a lot of times today when, when someone says, I don't, if, I, if people believe in God, they say they don't want to worship Him or they're not committed to it. It often has to go around this, whether they're an unbeliever or they're not a devoted believer, it is how they view God. And many people think about God, and, and I've heard people talk about God as like, the man upstairs, you've ever heard that phrase? The man in the clouds, the, the, those kind of talks and, and 
Uh, descriptions of God do not do any justice in understanding. It shows a kind of a lack of understanding for God in many ways. But the cross of Christ, it is Jesus Christ who gives us meaning. It is Jesus who we look at and we get a further understanding of who our Creator is. And so as the world today looks at the cross and it seems like foolishness, they can't make any sense of it. It is our job, brethren, as Christians, to be teaching them and to showing them this is God's love. This is what God has done for you. Here God has come in the flesh. He has died on the cross. He has taken the death He did not deserve because He was sinless. Without, without violence or evil in His tongue and in His speech, as Isaiah 53 prophesies. And as we see throughout the New Testament, Christ being without sin. He died a death He didn't deserve, and, and then death could not hold Him, so He resurrected. He overcame death and conquered it. And that changes the way that we view the world, and it changes the way that we view God. I hope that we'll think about that a little bit further. Another thing that was going on in the world, especially in the first century, was this. When the, classical, the ancient classical world perceived, and they thought of a Savior, a Rescuer, someone coming, God coming in the flesh and dying on the cross, they thought that was an absurd thing. There's an ancient inscription, and I think it's from the second century, where it depicts a cross, and it says on it, it says, Alexander worshiping his God. And on this cross is a man, part man, and his head has the head of a donkey. It, it came from the ancient world and the Greco world as they mocked the idea of worshiping Jesus. You imagine that. And when quote, contemporary art today makes fun of the gospel or the cross of Christ. It should offend us, but in one way, it's a very sad thing because it shows that our world is so distant, they don't understand the meaning of the cross. In the ancient world, it's a very degrading way to die. This is how slaves and rebels die. This is how people who reject the Roman Empire die. In the first century B.C., Cicero, He's a statesman there in, in Rome. He referred to crucifixion as the most cruel and terrifying penalty. The Jewish Roman historian Josephus in the first century, he spoke of the Jewish people and their protest against crucifixion, and they called it the most pitiable of deaths. And this description here is very vivid. This is from Seneca. Seneca was a philosopher. He was a philosopher and teacher of Nero. You know who Nero is persecuting the Christians. And about the time that Paul was put to death, Seneca was ordered by Nero to kill himself. And he did, as many Roman and Greek philosophers do. If you're familiar with Socrates and others, how they were ordered to do that. So Seneca describes crucifixion. And I think it's very interesting getting his description here. He describes it here. He says, can anyone be found who would prefer wasting away in pain? He says, this is the worst death. He says, dying limb by limb or letting out his life drop by drop rather than expiring once for all. Can any man be found willing to be fastened to an accursed tree, long sickly, already deformed, swelling with ugly tumors on chest and shoulders? and draw the breath of life amid long, drawn-out agony. I think he would have many excuses for dying even before mounting the cross. This is the way that, that nobody wanted. Nobody wanted to die in this way. But Christ did it. And he suffered on the cross. And his hands and his feet were pierced 
as it was predicted a thousand years before he even came to that tree in Psalm 22. And I think about these and how much the world has lost the meaning of the cross of Christ. They don't understand the crucifixion. I hope this week as we're reading through Luke, we think again about this and we think about it more deeply. Now, earlier we read from 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, where Paul says the world looks at the cross as foolishness. And Paul goes on to explain, and, and this is just a, a brief part of 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21. And he says the reason why people don't understand it is because they don't have the wisdom of God. They don't know God because they don't have the wisdom of God. He says, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world because people think with their own wisdom they can figure everything out. Their own intelligence, their own education, and they can perceive the world. And God has shown the foolishness of it all by sending Jesus. There's no philosophy, there's no ideology today that can stand up. It is the cross of Christ that changes everything. It changes the way that we view the world through Jesus. And listen to what Paul says. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. And he's saying they didn't know through their own wisdom. And it makes sense. I can only know God through His wisdom. I can only know Him through what He has revealed, His Word. And as you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, he tells us what the wisdom of God is. He says the wisdom of, of God is Christ crucified. It is Jesus. And that's how we know who God is. That's how we have a right view of who he is. And I want you to think about that because Paul is teaching this and he's teaching this in a sense because he wants these Corinthians to know why many people don't view God in the right way. And it's a plea for us that when we're talking to others that we have a, a firm foundation. Before we get to the point of, of showing them evidences and showing them historical evidences or saying look at the science behind this, if their worldview excludes Christ and excludes God and they have no understanding of who God is and they just talk about Him as some man in the sky or some guy who sits on a cloud with a lightning bolt, they have no idea who we're speaking of. And so that is why we proclaim the gospel, the death, the burial, res burial and resurrection of Christ. You've got to have the wisdom of God to understand and know who God is. It says, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And all the ideas in the world don't stand up to Christ, to His love and to His example and what He has done. So many Christians, we never move beyond that tearful response. I remember as a child, looking and thinking about Jesus dying on the cross for me, I understood that He died for me. And I believed it. I couldn't make sense of all of it. I didn't have the full scope of the, the theology of it. I, I didn't have it fully breaking down, broken down like I might as I read Romans chapter 3 or Romans chapter 5. And of course, I didn't have to at the time. But the Bible does tell us more. And it does give us further instruction about why Christ had to die and why He had to suffer in the way that He did. And so that we can pass that on to others. So that it can change our life and change our family. And change the lives of our friends and those who are around us. And so the cross of Christ, the Bible does help us and gives us great understanding, greater understanding, so that we can know who our Creator is. In the Greco-Roman world, it was all about the idea of wrath. And a lot of people today, we don't think much about the word wrath. And so when we think about Jesus coming and dying and appeasing the wrath of God, in the ancient world, they're thinking of their gods being wrathful. The, the Jews are thinking about God, and they know the Old Testament and God's just vengeance. He is the avenger. 
The most ancient notable writings in the ancient world, when you look at the Iliad and you look at the Aeneid, you see it right there, that they begin, even in the first line. In Homer's Iliad, he begins with wrath. One army and other forces fighting against one another, they're all about vengeance. They're all about uh, justifying their actions and warring against one another. And the Aeneid, um, even in Virgil's writing there, he talks about taking up arms and war. And so when Christ comes on the scene and the gospel's being spread out that here's a man who died the cruelest death to overcome sin and he bore the wrath of God, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Read right here with what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 8-9. through 9. He says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified, we've been made right by His blood. It's another concept, another study. We'll get in more detail on the blood another time. He says, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. It's Christ who has made appeasement. Appeased the wrath of God and His justice. And that is not something that we as Christians should be ashamed of. We see here in this passage God's love, and we also see His justice. And I think many people struggle with that. How can God be loving and just? And I think as we picture any good parent today, you understand that. A good parent who loves their children is not going to allow one of the children to abuse and hurt the other. They're going to have a just wrath. They're going to be just. Anybody outside of their family hurting their children, that parent is going to have a just wrath. And as our God the Father wants us to be saved, He wants all people to come to repentance. That's what the Scriptures teach, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. God has a just wrath, as we talked about hell last week. That anybody who's going to take that and deceive others, God is going to, out of love, going to bring upon His justice and wrath on that person. Because they've rebelled against them, they've hated God, and now they're trying to pull others down with them. Sounds like Satan. That is the work of the evil one. So Christ's death, it demonstrates God's love and His righteousness. And those are things we cannot leave out of the Gospel when we want to further understand it. Now, let's get to our exposition this morning. If you have your Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 23. We're going to draw some observations here. I'm going to do this twice in the first part and the second part, and I'm going to think you're going to see why in a moment. I want you to look at the details that are in this text that help us to illustrate and help us to understand why Jesus is on the cross. Just by what is happening here. Luke chapter 23 and verse 32 says this, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Him. And when they came to the place that is, the, that is called the skull, there they crucified Him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. And the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is also an inscription over his head, this is the king of the Jews. 
I want you to notice this in contrast to what we're going to read on the, on the next few verses after that. But here are some observations here. Jesus on the cross forgives. Those who have put them there don't know what they've done. Forgive them for they know not what they do. In the Old Testament, you go back and you read about the sacrifices covering unintentional sins. And here Christ is by His own prerogative as He's been nailed to the cross, demonstrates and in His own words, tells why He's there. Forgive them for they know not what they do. While Christ is on the cross, you can see the sins of the people, the mocking from the Jews that take place, the Jewish leaders. You see the soldiers there mocking Him. You see the criminal at, at Jesus' hand mocking Him, saying, why can't You save us? We see the sinfulness of humanity as Christ is on the cross. We see the reaction of the antagonist here, and just as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, to the Jews here, Jesus is a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, those soldiers, He is just foolishness. Why is this King of the Jews on the cross? That's what I hope we'll think further about. But I want you to keep that in context because many of them that are looking up at the foot of, at the, foot of the cross and looking on Jesus, I wonder what would I have been thinking because it says there in Luke that all the crowds of Jerusalem, the crowds have come out. In the time of the Passover, you've got about a million, two million people there around Jerusalem. And they've come out in crowds to see this man who had been healing so many people and had been doing so many good things. And here he has been found guilty of treason and he's been nailed to a tree. As the, book of, as the law tells us, the one who's nailed to the tree is accursed. As we plead with others and we share the gospel, we plead with them for an honest mind to take up a positive perspective. If you come to God with a negative perspective, an agnostic perspective, a degrading, distorted view of God, then no, you're not going to receive the gospel. Our plea to the world is I want you to see the love of God in Jesus Christ and what He has done for you. Then you can begin to understand the faith. Then it can begin to change your life. Then the Bible will matter more to you. You'll be devoted and committed like you never have been before. You have a meaningful view of Jesus and of our Creator. Let's look at the second half, verses 40 to 49, and draw observations from it. Start in verse 39. This is one of the criminals that was hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Look at verse 40 now. Now we start to see the other view. What others were seeing. It says, but the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving, for we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Those are very strong words. To say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, you're saying he's the Messiah. You're saying you have, you have faith and you believe that He is the one. And that's exactly what this criminal has done. He has seen Jesus on the cross and now he believes. His perspective of God is true and right. And Jesus says to him in verse 43, and He said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Keep reading. Verse 44, It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God. He recognized who Jesus was. In Matthew, he says he is the Son of God. You see, the centurion saw something different. And he praised God for it. He said, certainly this man was innocent. And listen to this, verse 48, and all the crowds that assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. They known something great had happened, something that hadn't happened before, something that had been accomplished in Christ, unlike any other. Verse 49, and all of his acquaintances and the women who had followed from him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. I think a great question for us to ask is how the cross affects us today. If we were standing at the cross, where would we have been among those? Would we have seen Jesus for who he was, the Son of God? And what we've just read, we see an honest view of Jesus' crucifixion in the repentant criminal. We see the promise of paradise and the coming kingdom as the criminal confesses Jesus and demonstrates his faith that he is the Messiah. We see Jesus always committed to God, even down to his last breath, I commit my spirit to you. We see the centurion recognizing and praising God, and we see people seeing there's something horrible that had happened, but something great that had been accomplished by the death of Christ. I ask you this morning, would you have seen God at the foot of Jesus' cross? And you can tell this morning by the way that you live your life throughout the rest of the week, how you behave. The world is lost because they do not understand the cross. They don't know who God is because they don't perceive God's wisdom in Jesus. I usually give a concluding scripture, but I want to conclude with one of the verses from the song, How Great Thou Art. And think about this. And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And I hope that, that message continues to have an effect on us. Every Sunday as we partake of the Lord's Supper, it certainly should. The Christian's mission is this, to make known God, and we do so through the gospel of Christ. It is Jesus that makes sense of this world. It is through him that we need to view everything that we experience in this life. It's he that gives us hope. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we encourage you to do so by putting on Christ in baptism. The Bible says you become a disciple of Christ, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, by being baptized. The Bible tells us that before you can be baptized, you need to believe and confess your faith that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You need to repent of your sins, die with Christ to be raised up. It is what we've seen today as we've opened up the Gospel of Luke and seen Jesus depicted on the cross that should affect us and change us. Just like we read from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, for the love of Christ controls us. And why does the love of Christ control us? Control us? Why does it compel us? Why does it affect us? He says this, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so, so they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's the message we proclaim. That's the, life that, the message that should have changed us. So we give you an encouragement this morning. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, do so. Come forward. Let us encourage you, study with you, pray with you to be baptized into Christ. You need prayers and encouragement. I hope you'll seek someone out today. Find one of our elders or deacons 
to pray with you, I'll pray with you. Whatever your needs are, I encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing.